I've been preaching through the book of 2 Timothy. Of course, we took a break on Christmas Day, uh, and I will do the same today. We're um, going to look at a psalm, Psalm 25, looking at the first 14 verses of this psalm. As we think of a new year, uh, we think of many things, but one thing is to uh, look for guidance from God. So that's what the focus of the psalm is in part and uh, focus of this message. Psalm 25, a psalm of David. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those who... Be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions, According to your mercy, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The firm foundation of God is written in this word, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to build our lives upon it, uh, the solid rock of your word, that rock which is revealed in that word, which is Christ. May he be our rock. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit, and we ask that you teach us and instruct us so that we might know uh, how you would guide us Uh, today and every day of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, at certain times in life, we need guidance from God. That's obvious, and it may be when we're at a crossroads in life. We don't know which way to turn, or a fork in the road, if you prefer. Uh, Often, at the beginning of a new year, we seek guidance from God. We seek the Lord's guidance and direction when we are undergoing trials uh, when we're experiencing difficulty. But truthfully, we need his guidance every day. And if we forget that, uh, we're in trouble. And King David was also in need of guidance. In Psalm 25, he gives us some good instruction. How do we pursue, how do we get guidance from God? But I want to ask two questions at the beginning as we start As we start out, first, do you really want God to lead you? Do you sincerely want God to lead you? And second, 
are you willing to follow the guidance that he gives you when, when it's received? Uh, so guidance is something we uh, every Christian ought to seek. However, I think that often we're misled about how to go about finding that guidance. And there's four points that I have today. And the first one is if you want God, God to guide you, you must trust in him. Put your trust in the Lord. He begins the psalm <clears throat> with these words. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. There is a thing in, in the Hebrew language called parallelism, and there are parallel thoughts. There's a statement repeated, and it's, re- it's repeated uh, immediately following, but in a different way. To you I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. In other words, to lift up the soul to God is to put your trust in him. And that's the starting point in seeking guidance, to lift up the soul to God. Uh, our, our thoughts must be lifted uh, to things above. Colossians 3.2 reminds us, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So our thoughts must be lifted up. We, we're often, of course, focused on the earthly. Uh, we have to be. There's, there's no getting around it. You had to get up and decide what to put on this morning. Uh, you had to comb your hair, whatever it is you do to get ready. There are things that we cannot uh, avoid dealing with. Uh, you know, there's relationships, there's people, and uh, there are things that need tending to. And, and yet, nothing wrong with those things. The Bible tells us to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, present your request to God, present your needs to Him. So I want to say you can bring anything and everything to God in prayer. Uh, and and yet we must, before we think about praying for the things in life, we need to lift our souls up to God. It's easy, of course, to lift our voices up. I'm thankful that we were able to do that in, in a couple of songs already, and we have one more to go. We're going to sing praise to God, but it's a lot more difficult to actually lift the heart up to God and to, to keep doing that. Um, John Calvin uh, the reformer who lived, uh, who, from, who was from France, he lived in Geneva, ministered there. But there was a seal, uh, uh, you know, a personal crest or seal that, that he had. It was a picture of, of a hand with a heart in it, offering it to God. And there was a motto uh, underneath that open hand with a heart in it. And it said, my heart I offer to you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. So that's, that's the idea here. We are to sincerely and promptly offer our heart, our soul up to the Lord. That's the beginning point. Then we're ready to, to get guidance from God. Such a person is saying, Lord, this is my heart. This is my soul. This is my life. It belongs to you. Here it is. Take it. Uh, inhabit it. Shape it. Mold it for yourself, for your glory. I give it to you. It belongs to you. It's yours. In this coming year, you hopefully will renew a commitment to reading scripture, uh, to prayer, and things like that. But in all our devotional exercises, uh, we must be careful to lift up the heart and soul to God because we don't want to just go through the motions. This is the key in all our worship 
is to first give the heart and the rest will follow. And David says, oh, my God, I trust in you. You see, lifting up the heart to God is the supreme act of faith. It's, it's, it's to entrust the soul uh, up to the Lord and to his hands. Uh, we confessed our faith earlier with the Apostles' Creed, which begins uh, saying, I believe in God. And that's a corporate confession of faith. And that's good a good thing to do, to make a confession. The earliest confession of the church is Jesus is Lord. That's a confession of faith. But David's confession here in his prayer is more personal, an affirmation of his faith and confidence in God. Where's your confidence today as you approach God at the beginning of a new year? Hebrews says those who come to God must believe that he is, that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, to say, oh my God, I trust in you, is, is to say that you're willing to, to believe him, to trust him, to lead you and guide you in the way that he designs for you, knowing that his way is the best way. It's the confidence that he will lead us and they will only lead us in the right and the best way. We tend to make our own plans and then ask God to bless them. We tend to, to do our own will and ask the Lord to, uh, uh, to, to bless it. But David's teaching us to, at the outset to, to not come to God with an agenda, to not come to God necessarily with a plan, but to say, Lord, what is your plan? I, I want to come and submit my life to your eternal your divine plan and wisdom to your way, not mine. So David, once he offered his soul to God, uh, he then brings a specific request to God. He says, let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Let no one who waits on you uh, be ashamed. So he's thinking about his enemies. If they win the day, not only does David lose out, but God's reputation uh, will suffer. And, and, and I like what Derek Kidner in his commentary says here. He says, their victory, their, the enemies, would discredit not only David, but what he stood for. That is the conviction that a man must live by the help of God, not by his wits. You know, a lot of, a lot of people seem to be able to get by on their wits. But blessed are those who realize they need the help of God. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. So in this first section, we discover God's guidance. First of all, as we lift our souls to God and, 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 and put our absolute and full trust in him. Secondly, from the passage, in order to get guidance, we need to ask God to guide us. Ask God to guide you. That should be pretty obvious, right? Uh, and, and that's what David does. He's very direct in verse 4. He says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Uh, that, that kind of prayer is reflected in James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, in other words, if you need guidance, same thing, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. So, so guidance is a matter of getting wisdom in order to make right decisions to live rightly, and, you know, again, uh, we, we come to God in prayer, 
And we ask. The Bible says you, you have not because you ask not. Pray for guidance. Pray for direction. Pray for wisdom. And I think that the verse in James, it says, you know, if you, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. This is, this is a key to um, finding God's will. That is, the, the wisdom of God revealed in his word is, is how we're to go about uh, making decisions. A lot of people want God to guide them in this way. They want God to tell them exactly what to do. Uh, you know, and, and they, they put fleeces out. They ask for signs. They look for, uh, you know, uh, for God somehow to communicate directly to him. But God does it differently. He gives us wisdom so that we make the decisions but decisions that are in keeping with his ways and paths. I um, have had this experience, and maybe you have as well, especially ordering gifts and things. If you order a gift online, uh, sometimes you'll have questions about the order. Things get messed up. You didn't mean to do this, or, or what, what about that? And the easiest thing, of course, is to get a real person on the phone or on the chat so you can actually get them to resolve the problem. That doesn't always happen. Uh, sometimes they have those automated things. You know, here's the automated chat person. It's not a real person. And you can never find the right answer uh, through those things. And it, you have to scour the website and go through all the, you know, all the pages to find an answer. And it's kind of a pain. But, you know, we kind of want the same thing with God. We, we'd much rather just ask God a specific question and him give us a direct answer. Right? And then we wouldn't have to go to the trouble. Right? But see, God doesn't, again, his ways are not our ways. He could communicate his specific will directly to us if he chose to. And he does and has done that in the past. Uh, but largely, he wants us to scour his website, the, the Holy Bible, for the answers. The answer is there, but he wants you to dig in uh, to to, to, to read, to study, to meditate, to pray over. So if you need guidance, go ahead and ask God for it. But realize that the answer is going to be found. It might seem as if it's hidden uh, in the scriptures. You'll never find it. But uh, those who seek will find. Those who search out in the scriptures and pray over, over what they read will discover uh, the Lord's direction. And, and, and so... That's why when you pray for guidance, you need to, at the same time, get into the Word. If you don't do that, um, you, you're not going to uh, find it. And that's why David. That's what David gets into in the next verse, where he says, Lead me in your truth and teach me. Where's the truth? Well, it's in Scripture. Uh, that verb, lead, here in verse 5 is built from the noun, way or walk. Uh, so it, literally, he's praying, cause me to walk in your truth. Uh, to walk in the truth is just a metaphor for living by it. God wants to lead you. He wants to lead you by enabling you, uh, directing you to live by his truth uh, and to teach you how to do so. So applying biblical principles, biblical wisdom to decision making, not getting direct communication from God. I'm not saying it couldn't happen to you, but uh, uh, that's we're not encouraged not to expect that. The last part of verse 5, David gives the reason why he asks for guidance. He says, for you are the God of my salvation. Can you say that today? Lord, you are the God of my salvation. Uh, because 
There's no need in praying for guidance if you're not saved. God only guides those who have been saved from sin. Uh, who can say that God is their salvation? And, of course, that salvation has come through the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Uh, salvation must be the number one concern of every human being. Um, everything else is secondary. Charles Spurgeon writes, If you are saved, you may use this as an argument for obtaining further blessings. If the Lord has ordained to save you, surely he will not refuse to instruct you in his way. So make certain uh, that you know Christ saving by saving faith in him and him alone. David ends verse 5. He says, on you I will wait all the day. So to seek God and his guidance is also, uh, it also requires patient waiting on the Lord. Did you know that God is not in a hurry? And uh, things tend to work out better when you and I do not get in a hurry. Uh, the believer should not be hasty in life. And as Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still. And know that I am God. Uh, some people are too hyper to, to receive guidance. They, they can't be still long enough for, for them to know that God is in control. We tend to want guidance. We want it now. And we're thinking, hurry up and tell me what to do, Lord, so I can get on with my life. Well, that's, again, God is saying, I'll show you when you quit being in such a hurry and you calm down and be still in my presence. He guides those who wait patiently on him. Third, if you want God to guide you, you must seek forgiveness for past sins. In verse 7, he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. And then in verse 11, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And then uh, later, uh, he says it again in the portion that I did not read. Uh, he asked for forgiveness again. But guidance has to do with going God's way, right? And, and so sinful ways and God's ways are incompatible. Uh, one is going the opposite direction of the other. And so when David prays that his sins would be forgiven, he's asking forgiveness for going his own way and doing his own thing, following his own path. That's what sin is. And so if you aren't repenting of sin, repenting means to turn around, turn the opposite direction and go away from sin. Uh, if you aren't seeking forgiveness on a daily basis, you will not uh, be guided by the Lord. So his guidance is always away from sin. That's one thing we always know for sure. So you want to know his will? Uh, here it is, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. Ready for it? Your sanctification. Your progress in growth, in grace, in holiness, and in likeness to Jesus Christ. God's will is that you grow more in holiness, grow uh, more in obedience, and turn away from sin. So as David reflected on his sin, he began to feel the weight of those sins. And this this is something that every true believer begins to reckon with when he when you begin to seek the Lord 
You know, the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But what happens when God draws near to us? We start to feel our uncleanness. We start to feel our sinfulness. And David said, pardon, Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. And we can look back and we can see some of the sins that David committed. And we say, yep, those are some pretty awful sins. Your sin was great. Uh, We don't know what was on his mind here in this particular psalm, but uh, your sin and my sin are also great. So great that God had to send his son to give his body and his blood on the cross for us, for us to be forgiven. So whatever is weighing on your conscience today, and you say, I don't have any, I don't know of any sin. I think you need to get along with God and in his word and reflect a little more because there is sin to confess. And if you see it, if you know it, identify it, confess it, and forsake it. Proverbs chapter 28, 13. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it will have mercy. And that word mercy is one of the key words in this psalm. Uh, And one of the things about guidance is... uh, If you want God to guide you, get to know the character of God. And there's so much in this psalm. Go back and read through this psalm on your own and look for the characteristics, the attributes of God that you find here. But merciful is one of his attributes. On what basis did David expect that God would forgive his sins? There there is a basis uh, for forgiveness. And he says, according to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. So here you have God's mercy, his goodness. God's mercy and goodness and his love caused him to send his son into the world to redeem us by his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. So David didn't plead his own merit. He didn't have any. And neither do you or I have any merit before God. We don't work up that merit after we're saved. We have no more merit 20 years after we came to know Christ than we did at the very beginning of our journey with Christ. We ask forgiveness on the basis of God's mercy and the merit of Christ alone. In verse 11, he asked for pardon for your name's sake, O Lord. It's the same as saying, Lord, forgive my sins for the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first step in guidance, again, after we lift up our soul to God and and trust in him, is to examine our hearts and confess our sins, our waywardness. We're looking for the way, the right way, the path of the Lord. And relying on his grace, relying on his mercy, relying on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we are forgiven, we're restored, we get back on on the right path. And we must not bypass this step of repentance and confession and forgiveness. We need to take sin seriously. If you want guidance, take sin seriously in your life. Turning away from sin and towards the will of God is really 99.9% of guidance. Okay, we want to know other things. God is more concerned about this thing. Lastly, in seeking guidance from God, we will look at humility, the fear of the Lord, and the results of guidance. What, what can we expect from it? But in verse 8, he makes this appeal, again, on the attributes of God. God is good, God is upright, and he teaches sinners in the way they should go. And the word for teach here means to point in the right direction. God does want you to know the right direction. 
that you should go. And since God is good and he is upright, guess what? That the, the, the way that you should go is also in a path of goodness and uprightness. God, we can be thankful that God condescends to save sinners like we are. And yet he also condescends to teach sinners. Uh, the salvation of sinners is the greatest work that God has ever done. I think it's, you know, it's greater than even the creation. But it's also a difficult thing, a challenging thing, not for God really, but it's a challenging thing to teach sinners because sinners are bent on going their own way. Sinners are stubborn and obstinate. And that's true of all of us. In Psalm 32, verse 8, God warns. Those who say they believe in him, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, which must be which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. And so you and I can learn the hard way and be forced. God will bring us by force, if need be, to the right path. Or we can learn the easier way by being humble and teachable. So in verse 9 of our text, it says, you know, he, he guides the humble in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. And so we, we need to learn humility. Micah 6, 8 sums this up very well. He says, you know, he's shown you, old man, what is good. When, what does the Lord require of you? What, what would God have you to do in life and live? To love, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You want guidance? You need to walk humbly with God. And, 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 and so God has been merciful to others. He says, be merciful. God is a just God. Be just in your treatment of others. Do what is right and walk humbly, hand in hand with God. And to walk humbly with God is to walk without resisting his will. We think of a, a, you know, a little two or three year old child who's, you know, uh, you're walking along on a sidewalk beside the road and you're holding his hand or her hand and, and they're squirming. They're wanting to get away. They're wanting to go this way and that way. But you hold firmly onto the hand. And, and of course, the child is going to do better if he just doesn't resist, but just allows the parent to lead him. And that's what we do with God. Scripture reminds us that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so why does God resist the proud? Because they're always wanting to go their own way in sin. But the humble are meek. They are lowly. They're easy to lead. Be that person. Another characteristic required of us if we are to uh, receive guidance from the Lord is to fear the Lord. I don't have time to go into it, but verse 12 says, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. And so uh, we need to, to study what it means to fear the Lord. It's to have this great reverence and awe and respect for God and, and so that we wouldn't dare uh, do that which displeases him. Just like a child who respects their earthly father. And when the father gives a command, they say, yes, sir. And they go about obeying promptly. That's the kind of fear and reverence we ought to have for God. But, but what are the blessed results? What's the, what, are, what can we expect from God if we do seek guidance in the ways that David has uh, given us so far? Verse 13 says, He himself, the person who has 
who has come to God and, and sought his guidance, <clears throat> the one who fears the Lord, uh, and the one whom God teaches, he himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. Uh, to dwell in prosperity doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be rich, but it means literally to dwell in good. Dr. Alan Ross explains that prosperity includes anything that promotes, enhances, and enriches life. Of course, we think it's riches. We think it's money. If I just have more money, it's you know my life will be everything's going to be great. No, we know that's not true, uh, and yet sometimes we live like it. Remember what Jesus said. He says, "I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly." God does want you to prosper. In the right way. He wants you to prosper spiritually. And I believe he also will bless you in other ways. Uh, but spiritual blessings are the greatest. R- remember what the Lord said to Joshua as he was about to lead uh, the people into the promised land. Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do you want God to guide you? He will guide you. He will guide you so that you will dwell in a state of prosperity. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to truly prosper, to truly be happy, to truly be blessed, to truly have peace. Uh, And God will not only bless you, but your descendants. And maybe you don't have any literal descendants, but but God will bless those that that he gives you an opportunity to influence and to lead and to guide. See, God not only wants to lead and guide you, he wants to use you to lead and guide others. Uh, And it may be in small ways. It may, you know, a parent obviously guides a child in in huge ways. But he says, you know, that... um, his descendants will inherit the earth. God will bless your descendants. Uh, he, will, he will give not only prosperity, but posterity. And, uh, so, uh, and I think both of those, in the right under, biblical understanding, are some of the results of God's guidance. Finally, in verse 14, and the, I'm reading out of the New King James, but, um, and, and it says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Um, what is the secret of the Lord? Well, the, another translation, English Standard Version says, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And that is what the, what the, what the word means. And, and Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Uh, what a beautiful thing is that, that God wants to, us to enjoy his friendship. And friends are those who are close. They're intimate. They share their secrets. Uh, that's, that's why that, that, that word, the secret of the Lord, is, is so related to the idea of friendship. Uh, friends can tell each other anything. Of course, we tell God our, our secrets, but he already knows them. Uh, but God reveals himself, his heart, to us. Has God taken you into his friendship? Has he shared his secret with you? Dr. Sinclair Ferguson 
in a sermon on this passage, writes, he said, Jesus is his secret. But it's no longer a secret. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And you and I can be friends with him. He is such a friend. He forgives our sins. He takes us and heals us. He guides us in his way. And and, and he takes us into his confidence. And he allows us to share intimate communion with him. He even invites us to sit at his table and to enjoy his meal. And he says, open your heart and I will come in and sup with you and you with me. This is the most intimate way of thinking of our relationship with God. And and it's often as we take the Lord's Supper and we reflect on what he's done for us that we we realize uh, how much he loves us Uh, He reveals his deep love and his all-sufficient grace. We think of his kindness, his mercy, his patience with us, and we can go on and on. And and that begins to build, and we begin to be full of joy, and we return that love to him. So guidance comes easily as we fix our eyes on the secret on Jesus. Whatever you do in this new year, Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Christ. Keep your mind on his dying wounds for you. Keep your thoughts on his intercession for you. Remember that he is reigning and ruling now at God's right hand. To him all authority has been given in heaven and on earth. He has been raised. He's coming again. He never takes his eye off you. Don't take your eye off him. He will keep guiding you in the coming year. No matter what may come, as long as we keep our eyes on him. I'm going to ask the elders now to come forward as we come to the table of the Lord.